Given my interest and practice in meditation and its origins in various cultures, religions, and backgrounds, and how I've seen the host of benefits it brings to people's lives and service to others, I've wanted to get a clear idea on Judaism's approach to meditation. For example, Judaism is monotheistic and believes in one God, as I'm sure you know. It appears through my knowledge thus far that the other, let's say, religions or backgrounds also believe there is a one God. However, it appears the key difference is that many cultures believe that their other gods have independent power. Perhaps splitting this hair in one's understanding will not only improve their understanding of the world we live in, but also make their meditation practice pure, more meaningful, and to have an understanding of what they're doing and why, which improves the practice of meditation, their ability to trust what's going on, and becoming their best self. My intention has been to get to the purest practice of meditation, one that belongs to no background and can be practiced by anyone and everyone with no idolatry, cult-like stuff, etc. So it was pleasing to read that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a great Jewish leader, said simply, said, not only should the format of meditation not contain Eastern religious elements, it should not be Jewish either. The Rebbe uses the expression inyone rushus, a value-free or secular for the focal device. Thanks to a friendly connection, I got introduced to my guest today, Russ Devora Wallen, an accomplished musician, performer, social worker, psychotherapist, administrative consultant, lecturer, and community leader. Along with her numerous specialty populations and, and treatment modalities, she founded Torah Therapeutics, which is a Torah-inspired approach to holistic growth and healing. Torah Therapeutics offers one-on-one -on -one ongoing individual therapy, as well as couples, work, coaching, and family therapy as well. I recommend learning more about Russ Devora and Torah Therapeutics on the About Us page at Torah without the H, therapeutics.com, where you can also find several free downloads, like on of her 11 points for a clim clinical meditation by the Lubavitcher Rebbe and kosher meditations she teaches. Torah Therapeutics is also on social media under the name at Torah without an H, therapeutics. All of this has been very reassuring with the science-based practice I have been doing with Dr. Joe Dispenza. If you haven't yet, please leave a review about the show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts and head over to SolomonEzra.com or follow me on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Berezin to learn more. Also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Solomon Berezin, to get updates and new videos and, and podcasts. Finally, you can financially support this podcast by heading to anchor.fm slash Solomon dash Ezra dash Brezen slash support, which will be greatly appreciated and put forth better audio equipment and other podcasting equipment. Now onto the show with Russ Devora Wallen. When people ask me if I'm a Balat Tshuva, you know, it means the one who masters yeah. the Tshuva. I say, no way. I'm always <laughs> in the process. And you know what? That birthing, if you lose that movement, even if you're fully observant, it's not a life. You don't want to be satisfied yeah. like without energy to move forward. So birthing is a it's a, it's a dynamic process. And it's, 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 isn't that what life is about anyways? It's like well, that's what life is exactly. Life is movement. Yeah, right? that's movement. So the mind is the meditation. The prefrontal cortex is getting stronger every time you pay attention and choose to pay attention and bring your focus back. 
Yeah. You're strengthening what we call in Jewish seichel, what they call in, in Lashana Kodesh and in our circles, Chabad. That's the intellectual faculties. Yeah. So that's the, the executive, for the, the CEO of the brain. You want to strengthen your boss of the brain, your brain boss. And every time you strengthen the brain boss, you can choose whether or not you're going to pig out or you're going to eat two pieces. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to watch one more video that you keep scrolling in on YouTube or say, you know what, it, it's enough for tonight, right? Yeah. Or say something that you blurt out or not. We need to become choosers. Well, good morning, Miss De Russ Devora. How are you today? For Hashem, thank God. Yeah, really thank you good. very much for sharing your time and coming to speak with me a lot about Torah therapeutics and meditation and a lot we're going to discuss. It's my honor. You, you're doing some pretty cool stuff yourself. Thank you so much. To, to get started, I'd really love to hear a little bit about uh, your background and how you really got into Torah therapeutics and into meditation. I listened to your, uh, you had a conversation with the Torah and science back in 2015. And I was really kind of uh, attracted um, to a lot of the work that you're doing and sharing because meditation has become, uh, you know, a, a major kind of part and like passion in my life because it's, it's really, as you know, and you've shared, it, it has so many, you know, benefits across the board from health and you know pretty much every area from your heart health to your brain health yes uh, it helps with you know visualization and the way that our science is growing with epigenetics and the new biologies um it's really just you know it's it's incredible to me and i think it's a major it's tool huh yeah it's an important tool i think anybody who uses a smartphone yeah. now <laughs> needs to meditate. Absolutely. The people, the people who don't need to meditate are probably, let's say, in tribal Africa, weaving their baskets. So that's their meditation. Uh -huh. And they're taking hydroxychloroquine. So they're not getting COVID either. Yeah. So um, just a little bit about my background. And uh, we may need, you know, Solomon, we may need to meet again because there's a lot to share. Yeah. But just to Thank high God. speed it. Baruch Hashem. So to high speed it up to the present. So I was brought up in Buffalo, where I live now, as a uh, in a Reformed Jewish congregation. My mother was the first woman president of the temple. So I had a, a good feeling for Judaism, a positive attitude. Yeah. <clears throat> but as I said, it was a Reformed temple. And I asked a lot of questions in Sunday school. I was a little ADD and very inquisitive and you know, and they had no good answers for me. They would always be like brushed off. The questions I asked maybe were too deep or they didn't have the knowledge. And I was frustrated as I got a little older, I asked my mother if I could join the conservative uh, Hebrew high school. And that was a little bit of a hassle because it was another carpool for her. But I went to that and I asked them questions and there were no good answers. And then I went to college and I went to college as a, uh, voice major because I thought I would become a chazan and a rabbi. So what I did was I started singing in the Hebrew Union College choir there. I was a music major in the college across the street was the rabbinical college where soon I'm going to 
want to go to grad school after I graduate from college and become a rabbi, or you might call a rabbet. And um, I went there and I looked and asked questions and it was not satisfactory. But I sang in the choir and it was a good Jewish experience, but not as spiritually. Um, yeah. It was a good Jewish and music experience, but it didn't really catapult me further. And mm -hmm. I was just asking a lot of questions until uh, one day I met a Chabad rabbi on campus and I asked him questions and he had answers. And one of the questions I asked him was about a practice that I had been in because I told you I was a little wild and a little crazy and a little ADD as a kid. And my teenage girlfriend's mother, in, when I was in a, a, a sophomore going into junior year in high school, she told me I needed to meditate to you know, cool my jets. And she took me to the TM Center. Then Transcendental Meditation was really the only thing that was visible out there. And it has roots, literal idolatrous roots in Hinduism. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know enough about Judaism, but when I went through the initiation and they made me kneel in front of an altar, in other words, there was literally a puja ceremony, a Hindu ceremony. I said, I'm not allowed to do this. They said, don't worry, you only need to do it once. And I was, I felt a little betrayed, but I was stuck. I went and went through it. I had to offer, they told me to bring <clears throat> flowers. You, you gave an offering, a, a handkerchief filled with things. I mean, it was, uh, I was just jarred, but okay, you only do it once. And then they whisper a mantra in your ear that you're not allowed to utter ever again. You're not allowed to bring it out. You just, just for, that's your focal point, Yeah. right? Because in every meditation or most meditations, there's something that you're either focusing on mm -hmm. or letting, letting go yeah. to focus on something else. And this was our focal point, which was the sound, which I'm not going to utter out loud because actually it's the name of a Hindu goddess. And when I found that out, when I asked the rabbi, is a Jew allowed to meditate? Remember I told you I met this rabbi yeah. on campus? He said, well, the Lubavitcher Rebbe just spoke about it this summer. <laughs> How synchronistic. Yeah. We call that Hashgacha Pratistic. Yeah. Divinely provided details that God is looking out for you. So just when I was ready for Judaism and I could meet this rabbi, the Rebbe had just spoken about TM and the problems with transcendental meditation because of the idolatrous roots. But the Rebbe is so way ahead of the times. He'd already approached Dr. Tversky in the 60s yeah. about developing a kosher, but parif, not Jewish, neutral, clinical format of meditation to calm the nerves. Anyway, he didn't get involved in it. That's another story. But the Rebbe spoke about this and the rabbi on campus, the Chabad rabbi said to me, as long as there's no idolatrous elements. <clears throat> well, I remembered the puja ceremony, but I didn't think that that sound meant anything. Now, meanwhile, I met him and, you know, I, 
I'll probably meet him soon again because he's there on campus. And then I go home for a little holiday vacation. And I go to the University of Buffalo bookstore. And I say, you know what? My meditations are very boring. Just sitting and saying that sound inside my head. Cookie, 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 cookie. That wasn't the sound, but you know what I'm saying. That would be a funny mantra. <laughs> right? That, that was, you know, a mantra, a funny mantra. Well, that, that's Cookie Monster's mantra. So Cookie Mon. Anyway, so so saying that sound over and over in my head yeah. as, an, as an ADD girl, now for four years, 20 minutes twice a day, yeah. which is a lot of meditating for an American-born non-monastic, non-Hindu or Buddhist little girl. So it was getting boring. So I go to this university bookstore and I pull out a book that says, choose your own mantra. Mm -hmm. I said for $6.95, I think it was like a Bantam paperback. I could get hundreds of mantras. If I go back to the TM center, they're going to charge me 150 bucks to get another sound. And they have to do that stupid ceremony again. Mm -hmm. So I opened the book. I didn't open to a particular page. Let's just say we'll go back to that synchronicity that you talked about. Yeah. God opened the page. There were hundreds of mantras. It opened up to my One, yeah. mantra. Yeah. And my heart fell into my kishkas. And it said, Hindu deity, goddess of the earth. I go, oh, shoot. Slammed the book, yeah. put it back on the shelf and said, I can't meditate anymore. But it didn't matter. Four years, 20 minutes, twice a day, it turned on all by itself. And it went at eight o'clock in the morning before school, four o'clock in the afternoon. When I So cookie, cookie, cookie was doing its own thing even even though I wasn't intending to meditate. Then I started going to that rabbi's house and I started getting into Judaism. This is Rabbi. And, no, no, no. But Later. you'll you'll hear that part of the story in a quick moment. That was a gentleman who was working for the Chabad house in Cincinnati, where I went mm -hmm. to school, where the rabbinical college was, right? Okay. So <clears throat> I went I, I was told to go to Minnesota where Rabbi Manus Friedman was. We jokingly called it Minnesota. So I went to Minnesota to this study program and I told Rabbi Friedman that I had this problem with this mantra that wouldn't turn itself off that was going on in my head. And he had a wonderful explanation and, and suggestion that I use with my clients for other things. You, it's called a thought replacement or a distraction. Yeah. So he told me, memorize the 12 Torah passages for, for children. Mm -hmm. For It's called for, you know, in the army of Hashem, Tzavos Hashem, that little children learn these Torah passages and memorize them. They include things like Shema Yisrael and Bereshis Bara Elohim and via hafta l'reacha kamocha, you should love your fellow Jew as yourself. Very, very basic things from various parts of the Torah. And I memorized them. And when the mantra came in, I pushed it out with the, the phrase and lo and behold, the mantra left me. 
and I was scared to death of meditating. So I became observant and stayed far away from meditation until that I got my graduate degree and I became a social worker and I became a therapist. And I start reading the research and seeing how meditation is, well, we're talking like a long time ago, like 20 years ago, before all of the big research more recent. And I said, oh, oh yeah, the Rebbe talked about it. Oh, and then I started studying it with my rabbi, with other people and realized that I need to implement this in my practice. And I've successfully implemented, first it was relaxation and hypnosis recordings, but then I realized hearing different things that the Rebbe actually prefers meditation to hypnosis because hypnosis is someone else doing it to and for you. Meditation is you doing it yourself. Wow. Unless it's self-hypnosis. Yeah, yeah, the Rebbe yeah. wasn't opposed to hypnosis, especially in very severe cases, but he did not favor it because you're under someone else's aegis. Yeah, so yeah. I started getting into it, researching it. I've developed a few albums, as you see on my website. Yeah, yeah. I've got three albums. Uh, hopefully, I'm coming out with an app of kosher, my kosher meditations. None of them is Jewish. So you won't hear any Jewish philosophy in those because the Rebbe was very explicit in his talk to not have anything of any format of religion, not Jewish and not- Summary of like the points I think you, you have on the, your website, like a download. He, he, yes. he Yes, I have free, I have free meditation downloads there as well. Yeah, people can go, it's, it's a hard, hard spell it's Torah without an H, therapeutics.com, T-H-E-R-A-P-E-U-T-I-C-S. So T-O-R-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-E-U-T-I-C-S.com. And there are lots of free downloads there. There's memes you can download, but there are meditations. There are free recordings. There's my, I call it my signature meditation, the beginner's meditation on the breath, which is free mm -hmm. with the introduction and explanation, which is free. Because at the end of the Rebbe's talk, he talks about how we live in America and we can really advertise very easily. This is way before the internet well, era, yeah. 1979. And he talks about how in such a place, we should be able to freely disseminate it. And I took that literally. And I said, okay, one recording to get a person their feet in the door I've got people who use this two or three times a day. This is their meditation. Mm -hmm. It's only six minutes long, but it's really simple and powerful. So okay. that's how I got into it. I, I also see and have seen, that's how I developed Torah therapeutics was I kept bumping into stuff in the Torah that sounded like, this is neuroscience. Yeah, this is, exactly. This is lifestyle medicine. This is self-regulation this is meditation this is positive psychology yeah the torah knew it all along mm -hmm. and so then i did a lot more research the rebbe has a a lot of material on holistic wellness Maybe the preference good. of the torah is ani hashem rofecha i god will heal you you take care of yourself be very careful it says we we need to be God says, guard your souls very carefully. 
how do you guard a soul? By taking care of the body too. Yeah. By taking care of the, the soul, the body, and the mind. Well, it's, so all, it's all one. It's all complementary. It's all one. Exactly. So if we can learn tools and techniques from the inside and make our lifestyle healthier, our environment, our friends, what we eat, how much we sleep. Do we have a, a, a synagogue, Lahavdil, or a church, or a, or a spiritual interest? Do we have people who illuminate us and enlighten us? It's a, it's a whole being. So my approach, one of the first things I teach some of my clients, especially ones who are very activated and very, very anxious and flipping out, to calm their nerves. Mm -hmm. So I teach them a three-legged stool approach, <laughs> body, mind, and soul, one activity a day. People say, I don't have time to meditate, right? So I can't give them 20 minutes twice a day. If, I, if, if I'm lucky, they'll take three minutes or six minutes, but we get their foot in the door and start them that way. So the mind is the meditation. The prefrontal cortex is getting stronger. Every time you pay attention and choose to pay attention and bring your focus back, yeah. you're strengthening what we call in Jewish seichel, what they call in, in Lashon Kodesh and in our circles, Chabad. That's the intellectual faculties. Yeah. So that's the, the executive, the, the CEO of the brain. You want to strengthen your boss of the brain, your brain boss. And every time you strengthen the brain boss, you can choose whether or not you're going to pig out or you're going to eat two pieces. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to watch one more video that you keep scrolling in on YouTube or say, you know what, it, it's enough for tonight. Right. Yeah. Or say something that you blurt out or not. We need to become choosers. So that's for the mind. The body is I teach a slow, relaxed breathing technique. Okay. I call it the breathing contest. That's also for free on my website. Click, click through my blog and you'll see the last few weeks I'm focusing on breathing, right? Then we're going to go into meditation on my blog posts. But the breathing contest is you breathe in through the nose slowly. Breathe out through a small stream with your mouth. Like a coffee stir straw hole mm -hmm. or a swizzle stick of a cocktail. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know you've never had a cocktail. You're underage. Just joking. So... You're blowing out very slowly and little by little, as you inhale slowly and deeply and you exhale slowly and deeply, it slows the heartbeat. It relaxes the whole system. Yeah. I've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. My doctor cannot believe my, my pulse. I'm wearing a Fitbit. So right now we're talking, look at, this is us talking right now. I'm so relaxed, 56. That's cuckoo, right? Do you know what resting pulse should be for an adult, especially someone my age? You don't even know my age. No, what? This is resting. My resting pulse is 52. You would think that I was on the, the basketball court with you every day and I was jogging every day. This is an athlete's resting pulse. Yeah. And it's been lower when I'm not as responsible for things like during COVID, it, yeah. it even went up, believe it or not. So how do you gain that? Through meditating, yeah. through training your breathing, 
and I've been doing it for years. There, there's some, uh, thank, thank you for sharing, uh, you know, all of that and like your, how, how you got introduced to meditation. You kind of, yeah. you kind of went away for it for a little bit of a while before we're returning and finding more truth behind um into it the, the, the fact that it could be for anybody you don't yeah. need to use any religion that's what that's what's amazing this is the most important thing this is what the Rebbe's focus was and he i'm sure was talking about two very prominent people in the 70s who were doing a clinical meditation format one was patricia carrington may she rest in peace <laughs> she just died last year the other, may he live and be well, is um, Herbert Benson of Harvard. Yeah. And Herbert Benson, I actually, ha I have a picture of his, a photograph of his, uh, that he and I are sitting together. I, I took a few seminars at Harvard, and one is the ha Herbert Benson course in mind-body medicine. The relaxation response. Yeah, the relaxation response. He's the one in the 70s who wrote the book, The Relaxation Response, and then sequels and other things about meditation, he, he comes to the conclusion that there are just a few things you need. You need a quiet place, an object of focus, a relaxed attitude. That's it. That's it. It doesn't need to be anything else. And so you focus on that object of focus. And when your mind wanders, you bring it back to the object of focus. So even even Torah personalities have taught meditation that's similar to that. For instance, in the last uh, in the last century, in the 20th, 20th century, isn't that weird to say? In the 20th century, early in the time of the Holocaust, pre-Holocaust, there was a Rebbe in Warsaw. And at that time we were in the ghetto, the Warsaw ghetto, and his name was the Piatsetsner Rebbe. And he taught young Hasidim how to live their lives in a, an emotionally healthful way. And one of the things he told his Avrechim, his young students, was that they should meditate and focus on the minute hand of a clock. This, this is an analog clock, you know, maybe our listeners or our viewers don't know what that is, but it's a circle and it's got 12 numbers on it, right? And there's a second hand that goes around every minute, but there's a minute hand that takes a minute to click. Focus on that minute hand until it clicks and then focus on it, right? It's a very, very patient process, but you can focus on anything. You could focus on the sound of a bird, on, the, on a nature sound. You could focus on your breath, body sensations, Someone asked me, what do I do while I'm standing in line and I'm six feet away from people and it takes the ages to, how can I do something really good while I'm in line? I said, instead of using your phone and going like this, or instead of picking up Women's Day or, or you know, whatever, some kind of magazine in the, in the rack there, start noticing the swipe thing, the, the scanning code. Count the scanner code. Focus on the only the scanning code. You don't hear her voice. You don't hear the baby crying. You don't hear the people, you know, whatever. Just focus on the scanner code. 
She says, well, how is that different from me just picking up the magazine? I said, because you're choosing it. The magazine you just gravitated to and you're just flipping through it. You need to become the chooser, right? Or focus on your breath. You can where, stand where, there with the cart. Your attention, yeah. Where you put your attention, what you what you pay attention to is going to grow. There, there's a couple of questions I'd like to um, ask about. Really, it just I think it addresses how meditation has, or our understanding of meditation has evolved. And maybe because I got into it, you know, in the past four or five years. So at that time, meditation really was at a greater understanding, but what exactly, you know, I, I'd like to get a, a, a really like simple understanding. What exactly is like, or how did the Rebbe define idolatry? What, what about these hints? Okay, good, excellent. What, excellent about these, uh, what, what, what about these, you know, postures, bells, or um, so, so let's, negative? So, because, so because I've seen a couple of meditation retreats I'd love to also talk about. And it's what, when, when you shared that and how you, like at the Transcendental Meditation, I'd only read experiences like that. And they're, yes, they're, not, as, they're, not, they're not as vivid anymore. So here, let me. Yeah, because I had to kind of work those. That was kind of something I had to emotionally work through because that also is kind of like a, a trigger that kind of prevented at a time experiencing or practicing the meditation because, oh my God, I don't- Yeah, if, if I'm doing something that Hashem doesn't want me to do, even though it's very subtle, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm in the meditation and I'm not, I'm resistant some, somehow unconsciously or subconsciously, I'm doing something like that first time when they brought me into that room and they initiated me. I was like, <gasps> I felt even as an, ignorant, uneducated, I wasn't orthodox, I was a reformed little Jewish teenager, my neshama felt it. And I think in this society, we've become so desensitized. So what's wrong with a bell? What's wrong with a gong? What's wrong with a... Okay, so here's what the Rebbe spoke about was, again, we're not talking about a religious practice. Yes, he said, Meditating on God's greatness is a beautiful Jewish practice. Our Meditating on the Shema Yisrael or every day that you pray, you focus and have kavanah, intention on what you're praying. So really kavanah or kavanah is the same thing as what we are trying to accomplish in meditation. And what is that? The word kavanah comes from the word kivun. A kivun is a, is a direction, okay? So we're redirecting our thoughts to this focus, whether it's the breath or the minute hand of the clock or the bird tweeting, okay? Or the cash register scanner, okay? Doesn't matter what we focus on, the intentional focus is the point. Now, some of these things came from the East. Many of the things that we're familiar with currently did come from the East. The current mindfulness meditation movement is based in Buddhist meditation. You can't, you almost can't extract it if they're going to call it mindfulness. Because mindfulness is a Pali translation, an English translation of a Pali term. Pali is the religious language of Buddhists. It's not Chinese 
or Mandarin. It's a, the religious language that's found in scripture. And the Hindu language that's found in their scripture, that's their holy tongue, is Sanskrit. That's not Hindi. Hindi is conversational Hindu language, I Indian language. Whereas Jews, we have Ivrit, we've got spoken Hebrew. And then there's a language that's called Lashona Kodesh, that all the holy Sfarim, the holy books are written in. Pali is their holy language, referring to the, the uh, books, the holy books that they have, and the whole philosophy of Buddha is in Pali. Now, those people who are really smart, and 90% are Jewish, took whatever good there was psychologically, right? They're general psychological things that are beneficial to everybody. You don't need to be a Buddhist to have a positive attitude. You don't need to be a Buddhist to have self-compassion. You don't need to be a Buddhist to have gratitude. By the way, you know and I know, these things way preceded Buddhism and Judaism. Okay, we've got that stuff. So the philosophy stuff is not relevant to us. We want Abraham's it. descendants, you know, he sent uh, kids to it the- It says he sent his children with Keturah to the east with, with it says Shemos Hatuma with Rashi. They were kind of impure names. There was, there was mysticism, but he knew that they would not be able to follow the Torah. So he gave them wisdom and that was developed in a beautiful, incredible way for those cultures. They're brilliant. Right? And we learn a lot from Ayurvedic medicine. We learn a lot about the meditation. But Judaism has its own sources. And what the Rebbe was trying to do here was bifurcate and split this out so carefully that you don't mix health and wellness with service of God. Yeah. Okay? Now you can integrate them. Right? I. I intermittently fast. I've only been drinking today. I, I exercise. I have a, co a, a trainer once a week. I am going for a massage now. That's why I had to run off the phone quickly. I, she just told me yesterday she's available. We were closed out for, for weeks because of COVID, right? Yeah. Right? Nothing person, personal, Solomon, but no, no, if I, it were you or her, sorry, I've been waiting for her for, for months. I don't even know you for a day. Okay. So... So you integrate your these lifestyle practices to make it easier for you to pray. If I'm calm, I can focus on God. Mm -hmm. The the Magid of Mezrich, yeah. the the student of the Baal Shem Tov and the predecessor of all all of the Hasidic no, movements. The Alter Rebbe, one of his students. Go ahead. Right. So the Magid of Mezrich was a contemporary of the Alter Rebbe. But he was the teacher who got them all together after the Baal Shem Tov. He said, a kleiner loch in kerper is a groise loch in a shama. A little hole in the body, a little defect in the body yeah. is a big hole in the soul. You didn't sleep, you can't, you can't daven, you can't love your fellow Jew, you can't behave nicely in business. You might yell at an employee. If you didn't eat well, maybe you're hypoglycemic. You had a muffin this morning, but you didn't eat until two in the afternoon. So by 12, you're, and then you're mistreating people. 
you got to take care of your body and your neshama and your mind. By the way, we didn't say what the third leg of the stool is. This is my prescription. It's a book called In Good Hands. You even have a PDF for that on the website. I do. I give that out. That's part of the three-legged stool prescription. Because I don't believe there's a person in the world who has anxiety that could remove their anxiety if they don't believe in God. Whether you're Lahabdil, Christian, Muslim, doesn't matter. So if the, you don't believe I, that I, God's going to get you through this problem, God's going to help me through. He, he sent me to the right therapist, or he gave me the right parents, or he gave me the right friend. God is going to help me. I, I sorry to to jump in and cut off. It's just um, when this when this comes up and like I feel like it's often very important to to return and make sure that we not just you and I but anybody listening has an under like a good definition of what things are. So like when we talk about the idolatry, what it what it because if so, you use, if you yes. use God like it may. People think we, 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 even if somebody may intellectually have an understanding of what so, God is, emotionally, there's still this guy in the clouds that's going to. So, this is a very deep discussion, yeah. Solomon Shlomo. We're going to Shlomo the Wise. We are going to have to do a second. Yeah. Yeah. But let me give you a little brief one before I, before I close for today, because we can continue this. Mm -hmm. This is an important discussion, and it may be helpful for. Me as well, because I'm in the midst of writing a book for lay people. And maybe part of these discussions will be included in the book as what, what lay people what own. lay people would be asking me. Right? Well, what are what are people asking me? What is wrong with the elements? So here, let me tell you exactly what the Rebbe says in that talk yeah. and other things. And maybe the next time what we could do is focus on that talk and the elements of the talk. And yeah. Um, you, if you go back in my blog, you'll find 11 points that my rabbi and I went through. We analyzed, the Sina, we analyzed the talk of the Rebbe from um, July 7th, 1979, and, and the letters that I'm referring to that people corresponded with the Rebbe about, and we took 11 main points. One of them is this that you're talking about that it cannot have elements of idolatry. So what does the Rebbe say? Certainly direct idolatry, we can't bow to an idol, okay. right? We can't use names of other gods or goddesses, right? That's clear and vivid idolatry, right? And then he says, but not even what's called avizraihu de avodazora, that's an Aramaic term that refers to the subtle accessories of an idolater, okay? So now I know it sounds mean to call a Buddhist meditator an idolater, but they do use, they do use statues and stuff, but they don't believe in God. So it's a little confusing religion. They say you could believe in God if you want, but you don't have to. God is in you, which is also partially true, right? We believe we've got the neshama in us, but what we're... The Torah is concerned is that you come up with your own conclusions after you've meditated enough. What right action is and right behavior. There's no halacha, there are no laws. There's recommendations to do the right thing. Well, who said what the right thing is if you don't believe in God and God didn't prescribe it? So the one issue is it's not our religion. 
It's not our religion. We've got our own traditions. So we've got religious traditions and meditative traditions, health traditions and wisdom traditions. We don't need it. So that's one thing. Then the Reb is telling us, certainly not vivid idolatry, but what are the accessories he's talking about? So let's imagine a monk in his temple or even in his home. He's meditating. He might be in a particularly seated position. I'm sure you've seen gurus in the lotus position where their legs are crossed in a particular way and they're sitting on a zafu, a particular cushion on the floor. And that's how that Hindu or Buddhist meditator might meditate. They might use bells or chimes to bring their attention to the room. Uh, they may be, be using a singing bowl a metal singing bowl, okay? And those in Buddhist meditation, those begin, they signal the beginning and the focusing, and they sing, signal the end of a meditation, mm -hmm. okay? So there's a little bit of that, I think, with like when I, I went to a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Of course, of, there's going to be. They can't help it. They can't help I'm letting you know, even in the biggest science books, even when I go to Harvard, I took a wonderful course this summer, last summer in August from Harvard from Ronald Siegel. He's the nicest man in the world. He's Jewish, of course, Ronald Siegel. And his brother is the famous Daniel Siegel from US, UCLA, right? Mindfulness, they're both into it, but I can't help it. Of course, I learned Buddhist philosophy in that course, but it's Harvard. But Whoever studied that first is going to drip it through. If they, they're not a committed, let's say, religious Jew who's concerned about that or a committed religious Christian who runs away. By the way, religious Christians are more scared of this stuff, these things that you are talking about now, than Jews are. Jews are very open-minded. Sure, I'll try it. I'll try a retreat. I'll try this. If they saw that, they would run to the hills. They're scared. They've got... They've got all sorts of organizations against TM going into the public schools. There's a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, um, Ari Siegel from Los Angeles. You may want to interview him. He's fascinating. He was a TM teacher. He's got a book that just came out three years or four years ago, Transcendental Deception. Yeah, I'll have to look into this, but yeah. So the point is, is any of those things? Questions. That... So I, so I'm allowed to sit on the floor, yeah. but I don't have to sit on the floor no, if I'm comfortable. Anything, in a... No, like the, if anything, there's another um, uh, guy who is a scientist whose meditations I practice. If anything, he says actually your blood flow is better when you're sitting in a chair. So look, I don't know why, but they follow customs that are not necessarily currently important or necessary or relevant. So what the Rebbe is saying is remove any customs that are associated with it that they're insisting upon. I, I went to a very big one, a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy course by another Siegel. He spells his last name differently, Zindel Siegel. These are all what I call Bujus. They're scientists, but they're there, the Buddhist philosophy is more theirs than Jewish philosophy because no one taught that to them. Like I wasn't taught in Sunday school, right? Yeah. 
And even it's a lot can't of help it. Uh, Buddhism. There Jewish. was another. There was University of was Jewish. Yeah, so they all were. Well, we'll talk about that another time. But this it, is part one, everybody. This is part I, one, everybody. I know. I know, I know we. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, but that course was at University of Toronto. It wasn't some ashram that I went to. I'm going to courses, scientific courses, and Buddhism drips in. They wanted you to just be on the floor. They wanted you to take, take off your shoes. Maybe that's because it's Canada. They wanted you to sit in a particular position. No, I said, Dr. Siegel, I'm going to sit on a chair if you don't mind. Okay, they did use the Tingsha symbols. They did use the bowls, but I was taking a course and I will be exposed so that I can know what to give to my clients and my students. This may be a good uh, place to end. I know you, you yes. know, are going- I need to run anyway, yes. What exactly, in, it might take a longer uh, answer. So if if you would like- I'll to let you know if it's for part that. two or three or six or 12. <laughs> well, what exactly is so, um, for lack of a better word, negative about it, if your intention is pure? So like when well, it's I- not that, It's not that it's negative. Is there anything wrong with going I mean, what, what would be wrong if I'm, if I'm sitting? Because sometimes it's I'll not sit. negative. It's not negative. It's, it's just that, that the Torah does not want a Jew using accessories from other religions. That would you go? Would you go and grab? Would you go to a, a Catholic priest and say, "Hey, could you send a couple pieces of host uh, to my house? I want to dip them into uh, my my little uh, Nova and cream cheese dip." Would you take a religious item from a church? Why would we take it from a Buddhist temple? Why would we take it from a Hindu guru? The Rebbe is saying anything that is idolatrous, like a bowing to an idol or a person, or anything that's even a, an accessory for that service that maybe now they don't really do all that stuff so much. And maybe Dr. So-and-so, Dr. Goldberg from, you know, from University of such and such doesn't do all that stuff, but there's still a little time. I take a neuro coaching course. I skip the first 30 seconds. Don't tell him because he plays the bowl. I know he does it every time. I don't want to listen to it because the Rebbe doesn't want. And let me just add one more element. It's not the Rebbe, it's the Torah. That bowl that we bring to America that got imported from Tibet or China or India or Pakistan who said somebody didn't intone their religious intonations into that bowl when he was meditating? Who said it wasn't used for idolatry? I'm not buying a brand new bowl that was created just to export. We don't know where those things come from. I have a rabbinic psak, a halachic decision from my particular rav who has to know these modern things that are going on. And he says, if you wanna use the singing bowls for therapeutic purposes and sound healing, then you have to buy a brand new crystal quartz bowl that was bought from the warehouse. I have three of them. They're like the cost of a car. They're fabulous and they make a gorgeous sound, but I don't use them in meditation because that's idolatrous practice before and ending a meditation. But I use it for sound healing as the Rav told me. We can use the things in what are called klipas noga yeah. in the neutral territory for the good. That's why the Rebbe wants people you, to meditate. That's what it means. It's uh, it's using the neutral for the good. Don't take the the other religions 
and then bring them into your stuff. Take the neutral and elevate it. So now I will depart, but yeah. Solomon, I think we've got a little ongoing conversation. Yeah, and I look forward to helping you understand better and sharing with your audience. I think this will be very informative. Yes, thank uh, right. you. We'll schedule it another time. But Sounds nice meeting you and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much, Restavora. Thank you. We'll, bye -bye. we'll be in contact. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can si also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.